0: SFDC Consultant is here to support your Salesforce career through interviews, podcasts, videos, articles, about and around the best way to grow and develop as a Salesforce professional. We have a list of high value and highly packed Salesforce podcast episodes with Salesforce MVPs, architects, consultants, directors, CEOs, developers, and more. In this episode, I'm happy to speak with Ian Gotts, founder and CEO of Elements.Cloud. I've been a fan of the Elements product, and I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation. I asked Ian about advice that he would give to anyone planning to start a Salesforce consultancy, but we also spoke about deployments, project estimations, and also some stories shared by the community on org confessions. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Ian. My name is Ian Gotts.
1: I'm the CEO of Elements.Cloud. For some of you, may have maybe seen me on the speaking circuit at Dreaming Events or Dreamforce or World Tours. I've been around the Salesforce ecosystem for about 19 years. So we're one of Salesforce's early customers in London. In fact, I was one of the reference customers who spoke at the first, we won't call it Dreamforce, but the first London event. So there were three customers. One, I was one of the customers speaking. There was Mark and 120 people. And of course, it's just, it's an amazing uh, growth story since then. So, we've been around Salesforce for a while. The last company I was running, we used Salesforce, but they weren't our core customer. We were aiming at the Fortune 500. We sold that company in 2011, and I got the guys back out of retirement. I got the band back together again. And we looked at the Salesforce ecosystem and said, look, now there are some big customers. They seem to have a problem around enterprise tooling. There's an opportunity there to go and build a company. And that was in 2016. So, that's when we started Elements. And again, we are now as a Salesforce partner, but obviously, we're a Salesforce customer. We use Salesforce
0: across the board inside the company. You've done a company and afterwards, you guys enjoyed a bit of free time and then you got the, got the gang together again and, and kick kickstarted. What was it that made you decide to come back to Salesforce in a way? Just because, in terms of, I'm thinking like cloud computing and all of that. After 2011, I guess AWS was coming up and, and all that. So you had options in a way. What was it that brought you back to Salesforce then?
1: I'm not a technology guy. I mean, I, I grew up as I know, a first job pretty much after university. I'd had, had a stint as an engineer, but then I joined Accenture. So I was a consulting partner of Accenture for 12 years. I know about working with big corporates. And by that, by 2006, Salesforce had lots of big corporate customers. They had the top customers around the world. They clearly had issues, and we we had the, t- the three of us understood the technology that we need to bring to bear. And in fact, the product we built, Elements, the product we built, is all around helping you document, manage all of the implementation around Salesforce. So things like where a field to use, so you don't create, uh, you don't change things that get broken. That was the application our CTO wanted back in 2001. And we built it in Excel spreadsheets, and it was horrible. And there was still nothing sort of 15, 16 years later. So we saw there was an opportunity to go and build something. And Salesforce is a fantastic company to work around. I mean, in terms, I don't, I can't think of any other technology company that has that, that growth, but also that ecosystem, that, the you know, go, family in terms of that approach. And, We've all got to do something in life. We've all got to be somewhere. So why not work around people you want to be around? So there, there were a number of reasons that drew us back to Salesforce. And by then, I'd moved to San Francisco. So San, uh, Salesforce is literally the office opposite, opposite us. Well, it was until six months ago. Yeah. So when we were de- working downtown, Salesforce was really close. So there were lots of reasons that drew us back. But I think it's really the culture and, uh, of the way Salesforce is run and grown. And that, that's chosen to be that's the right answer and it has yeah. been over the last couple five years
0: yeah it makes sense what I wanted to get into a bit of detail specifically to the applications that you guys have built and I really want to get a bit of detail on the findings and and potentially some recommendations that you may have based on what you've you've been able to witness on that what would be the, the value proposition for someone using elements from a consultancy point of view if you are a 10-man consultancy or you're rocking a a 20, 30 people consultancy that you were basically implementing projects, either evergreen or you're picking up someone else's project and taking it from there?
1: I think the first thing is, from a consultancy, if you're walking into an existing org, you, you probably have very little idea about what's happened to it before. The customer says, oh, we've hardly made any changes. And you go, well, hang on, what about these 17 managed packages and all those custom objects? And you're only really scratching the surface. Uh, I was talking to a consultant the other day who said they used to spend two weeks on a project just doing the discovery to work out what had been changed. So part of the Elements proposition is we'll, once you've connected it to an org, we'll suck out all the metadata and we'll do all the analysis on it. So we'll tell you where everything where something is used down multiple levels. We'll tell you if fields have got data in them. So instead of wading your way around setup trying to build some sort of spreadsheet, We do all that analysis overnight, so it takes a couple of minutes to get it it connected, and then it takes between 15 minutes and two hours to pull all the metadata out and do a complete synchronization and analysis. And that consultant said they've gone from two weeks down to three days in terms of that analysis. That's the first thing. The second thing is they have a lot more confidence that they're not going to walk in and day one break something. So there's nothing worse than the consultant you're – you're not really sure what to go and do. And in the early days, you're in that honeymoon period. They're a new client. You need to make sure that you're demonstrating, you're, you're adding some value. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can quite easily upset the client or cause huge issues in the, in the early days. So that, that's the first thing. So you could even use elements, use our, our free trial. You could use that in the, in the sales cycle. So then you can start to scope the project properly. I mean, I've, I've been a consultant for a number of years. And the last thing you want is day one to have a conversation about scope, going, ah, I said it was going to take 30 days. Well, now I've seen the state of your org, it's going to be 45. That's not a conversation you want to have on day one. So maybe you can even use it earlier so you can start to use in the scoping phase. So that's the first part of the proposition. The second is that we have, we've built a whole set of analysis tools. So you can capture requirements, you can map business processes, you can write user stories. So it's not then you can start to use it to engage the customer to understand what they really want. So my experience with customers is they think they know what they want, but it isn't until you start to dig into it, then you discover what they really need. And that someone said to me, it's the theatre, the the sort of the early stages when you're engaging the customer and instead of you interviewing them, writing it down, and they see nothing, you're actually starting to work in live workshops, mapping processes. So from day one, they're seeing some value being created and you could even in the act of that mapping identify a bunch of business benefits nothing to do with changing Salesforce, but in terms of business operations so you're finding some benefits even as you're going through the project but then that that documentation is then connected to the metadata which means you're building them sort of the institutional knowledge so that the next time they go around the cycle the impact analysis is better so we're really sort of trying to support the whole life cycle and then the last bit of our proposition is any of that content can pop up as training material. We take over the help icon, but there's also a feedback button. So when the end users are going, that doesn't work for me, click on the field, create feedback. Feedback then turns into requirements, turns into user stories, and we're around the cycle again. So we're trying to make sure that there's we're really managing the documentation around that cycle. And for a consultant, you want to make sure you're leaving the client in a better situation than when you got there. Now... There are a few consultants I've met who've said, "Ah, oh, but if I write it down, they won't hire me again. That's a very short-sighted approach, and that's just not true. The same is uh, the view of, hang on, I could spend two weeks doing, this, uh, doing the discovery if I do in three days I've lost some work. No, you can spend that extra time delivering a ton more for the customer, which means you're more likely to get that follow-on work. So I think we're finding any of those consultants who genuinely care about the customers, see this as a way of adding a ton of value and if you're you asked me the question of if you're a 10 20 30 person consulting firm there's a differentiator there if someone's not using this and they're banging around setting up and building an excel spreadsheet and you can say look in two hours using this tool look what we've created then there's, there's some value there and, and then there's just one last thing often as a consultant you get asked to do something, and you look at it and go, "This is going to take about a week's work." And the client goes, "No, that that can't be true. That's that's only a day's work." With our analysis, this tree structure, you can click on something and go, "Look, that's connected to those three things, which are connected to those four things, which connects to those five things." Look, if I change that, the knock on effects, I've got to look at all those. So it's quite a good way of helping the customer understand the implications of what they what they want changed. It's very easy to be the just consultant. Oh, I can just do that. And then everything blows up in your face. So to be able to demonstrate to the client before you start work, this is the scope of the work. This is how much it's going to take. So you can have a proper conversation about how, how long it's going to take rather than being pushed into doing something in three days
0: when it should really take a week. If you think about it from a consultancy point of view, by actually understanding the complexity of the org, like you said, pre-sales stage. Basically just telling you this is how complex this org is. You have to take that in consideration whenever you're putting proposals together or, or putting estimates together. I've done a bit of pre-sales and I've done a bit of implementation. And I remember when doing you know the pre-sales support for, for our sales executives, things sounded simple and were like, yeah, we we can do that in five days. I mean, we can do that in, in X amount of days, and then you need it to somehow fit that piece of work or go over the amount of days because you don't want to have a conversation of saying, well, it's actually taking me seven days, but I'm not actually doing it because I quoted you five. So it is an interesting situation there.
1: One of the things that this statement will split the audience. So we wrote an article called, if you develop in production, it's faster. And people are like, you can't develop in production. You can't develop in production. I mean, the title is a little bit emotive, but... What we've discovered, even running our own org, is if you understand the risk of a release based on the risk of the user stories in it, based on the complexity of the metadata changes, you can you can actually say, okay, this is a high-risk release, this is a medium, this is a low-risk release. You can even maybe even adjust the user stories that go into a release to go, okay, this release has got like four high risk, or four, sorry, four low risk and one high risk. If we take that high risk one out of that release, we can now make it low risk. If we really understand that it's low risk because we've done the analysis, we can develop that straight into production and therefore we can get that done quickly. But then we do know that that is a high risk release and we absolutely need to put it through, no in-dev sandbox, into UAT sandbox and integration sandbox and into production. But again, an understanding about the risk of releases says that you can fast track some Some may be medium, so therefore you've got a different process. And then the really high-risk ones. So two things. One is you're starting to reallocate the user stories to get more into low-risk releases. And that means you can deliver stuff faster. So instead of everything being on a monthly release cycle or a weekly release cycle, some things you could pull forward and do less work on because then you're matching the development effort based on the risk of the releases. And... This may sound quite academic. Yeah, I understand you could do that. We do it to our own org. We've got a really complex org with third-party integrations. And we put about 100 change requests through a month now. 50% of those we've managed to allocate into low. And we can put them directly into production because we've organized our releases into these are low. And then we'll put all high ones together. So, therefore, we're, we're actually balancing our resources correctly. You can only do that if you have a clear understanding about the risk of the releases. At the moment, we're all doing it with a blindfold, so everything we have to assume is a high-risk release, and therefore we we burn a lot of cycles, maybe unnecessarily.
0: I've actually been on, on both sides, to be honest. I, I used to work at, at an ISV, and the, the partners that we were, or the clients that we were implementing, we didn't, didn't even know what sales was worth, so we were just presenting them with the org. And, and sometimes I... I mean, very early on, I was always just, just do it in production and the client would call and say, I, I need to record another piece of information. Like, well, yeah, that's just another field. It would not really make sense for me to take this through two sandboxes. I could just create a text field for you in there. But then I have slipped on that because I've had a bit of a situation where it was something around page layout assignments, et cetera. And I'm like, well, yeah, I could easily do that in production, not taking into consideration some of the the background and the profiles and and business processes. And then the client called 10 minutes later saying that some of the users were complaining that their page layout is not correct anymore. So you are correct, I think, if you balance those. And I have heard of, of people basically splitting between simple requests for changes that can be done directly in production and actual user stories. So I think... I think a balance there is, it's one of those things that if you need to wait a week or you need to wait a month to get some help text updated or something along those lines, I think you're not making use of what you actually have.
1: The reason we bought Salesforce was for agility, but then we stopped all the agility. But I think the issue is, okay, adding new things, fine. But making changes or deleting things, you think it's simple. You go, oh, I'm sure there's nothing connected to that field. But then you realize that it kicks off a flow or there are three validation rules, but those validation rules were like, oh, it's part of a formula. And it's those unknowns. And I, you hear stories of consultants or or admins who went, oh, I can just do that. Everything blows up in their face and at which point they're like, I'm, I'm never, ever going to do that. Everything has to go through the full production cycle and so the full the full deployment life cycle. So it it's all back down to really having the confidence that what's going to happen. And I guess that's where Elements... Or well, I guess you could code it up and use the metadata API and the dependency API and write some other code and you could build what Elements is. But again, as consultants, you're out there trying to do the consulting. You're probably not out there trying to build a product. Right. Bear in mind, yeah. we've got, we got a development team of 20 and we've been doing this for four years. So it's not, oh, this weekend, why don't we get the guys together and do a hackathon and see if we can build something? It's a little bit more complicated than that. I think we did a, we did a calculation earlier. We've analysed over a billion metadata items, and we've learned a lot about how horrible at times the metadata API is, trying to, trying to make it play fairly and, and not get lost and so on. It's getting better, but it's still a bit quirky, and we've, we've learned to manage its quirks over the last, few, the last couple of years.
0: You've analysed so much metadata, and you're also doing the, the OR confessions. What's the most uh, outrageous thing that you've read or you've received from that?
1: Okay, so for those who haven't, and no one's ever heard of orc Confessions, they've probably been living under a rock. We, we, we launched about a year ago, we're up to a thousand orc Confessions now. So it started off as about a year ago as a little side project where people were coming to me with horror stories. And we said, let's create a website where people can post them. So what's the worst? I think the example of people doing trailhead in production So they've logged in, they've got system admin access rights to their production org, they've installed the DreamHouse app, they've been doing that. And then sort of the the classic is all confession 169 where somebody went and did the the Trailhead trail and they changed the company login to kittiesarecute.mysalesforce.com. And of course, you can't change it back once you've done that. That's probably the most (laughs) emotive. I think what's interesting... There are very few of the 1,000 which are repeated. There are lots of, cons- there are lots of common themes, but we, d- uh, we don't see the same thing. Everyone's got a different way of getting it wrong. But there are some consistent themes, and they are. Um, number one is very poor business analysis. That idea that you just talked about, which was, I can just add a field. The answer is, well, why? Do you really need a field? Or is it an existing field needs a new pick list item? Or do you need a new record type? The idea of just adding a field... In isolation, may not be the right answer. So we went through all your confessions to draw out some themes. The first was poor business analysis. The second was very little thought about architecture, so there were, there were quite a lot of, I know product object with 40 lookup fields. I mean, there were some just horrible architecture decisions that were made. The third was very little understanding about the whole implementation life cycle. So no formalised DevOps, developing straight into production, people and breaking things. Everyone's got a, everyone's got sysadmin access. So the, the whole there isn't a formalised approach, and, and I'll pick that thought up in a moment. And the last was I need to pull the next out, What there were four, which were the big ones. And first was architect uh, analysis. Second was architecture. Oh, third was poor documentation. Sorry, we've the obvious one. <laughs> Nothing documented, uh, not even the description fields. So you've really no idea what you're doing. So it's they are the top four, and what's interesting is there's very little in Trailhead to support any of those. So I, they've asked uh, the Trailhead team asked me to start to do, do some Trailhead live presentations, and I do one every Wednesday around these sort of, these sorts of topics to fill in the gaps where Trailhead hasn't picked it up. And I don't see any of these necessarily being proved massively. I mean, with, that's why ourselves teamed up with Capado, teamed up with ProVar testing and backup. We're trying to build, basically build the the enterprise tooling which is required to manage your org in a rig- in a fairly rigorous way. So, so one of the things that you talked about was like how, how long ago we started in Salesforce. Salesforce started; it had five objects. It was a a little app that you could, for five users, and you went, oh, Jane, Bob, you know a bit about computers, you can be the admin. Because it, it was five five users or 20 users in the corner, it didn't, make, didn't matter. We now have Salesforce as a strategic application. Okay? It cannot stop. I was talking to a customer the other day, 40,000 users. So these are strategic applications. But it feels like we haven't really applied some of the rigor that you would expect from managing an enterprise application and it's very easy to just go oh i'll just add another thing just add another thing rather than that. but then companies have gone the other way they they put so much rigor in they've killed all the agility and we, we need to try and find a happy a happy medium there and i think the tooling that we're talking about is starting to make it easier to balance agility with some level of
0: control the other thing i wanted to ask and i wanted to take your opinion on As you mentioned, the value of things like documentation and, of course, some of the things that you mentioned, uh, the the common themes around the org confession post there. What I wanted to to get your opinion on is, in terms of using existing tools, how should end-user administrators or managers of orgs, how should they approach this? Because the one thing that I was just going to give you a, a bit of context and a bit of an example... I have some friends that are working on some on some orgs, and and they're the internal system admins. But then, as a company, the org is also outsourced to a consultancy. How would you encourage that relationship to actually work? What would be some of the things that you would put in place for that type of relationship to work? I've
1: been around process forever, so I think my standard answer for most things is actually having a clearly understood process. So, first of all, what is your development or your entire life cycle process? Okay, so. And the reason I talk about getting a documented process, it's not about documentation. It's about an gr- agreed understanding between the admins and the consultants and the end users about when do you do things. This is when we're finished. This is what a requirement looks like. This, we have one place where requirements go. We validate those requirements in a certain way. Maybe it's by mapping processes. This is what a user story is. This user story has certain statuses, when it goes to the developers, this is what they do with it. That may be in JIRA, it may be in Rally, it doesn't really matter, but that user story will then manage through the development cycle and it will have a status that says it's complete. What does complete mean? Does that mean the testing is complete? Does that mean the training is built? What what does that mean? I can't tell you what the right answer is, apart from the right answer is you all agree that's what it is. So having that agreement... and, and. and then as you work your way around the cycle, what does a tested app mean? Tested says, yes, it's ready. We have the training material working. It's gone through. It's ready for deployment. So that, that implementation lifecycle that I talk about, um, getting that agreed and whether you're just an internal team or you're an internal team working with consultants is important. Obviously, it's more important if you've got handoffs to third-party consultants. We've actually documented how our implementation processes work, oddly enough, in our own product. But we've made all of those process maps freely available. Anybody can look at them. You can take them, copy them. Then I'm not expecting them to be 100% correct for you, but you can take them and then at least you can make those changes. And someone said, what's the, what's the first process you should document? And the answer is the documentation process should be the first process. <laughs> Job one is as a consultant go, tell me what your how you do your development. And if they go, well, we don't really have it written down, maybe that's the first thing you should address, which is okay, how are we going to work with you? Because that's it's it's not necessarily the process, but it's the handoffs is where the, the problems occur. The handoff of what is a user story, what is a requirement, what counts as feedback, what counts as a tested app, what counts as a deployed app. That every time you're handing it off, that's where the potential breakpoints are. Yeah. So that's the first thing. So that's a documented process. Then the second thing is uh, implied in that is what are the documentation standards? What What is a user story? What is a requirement? What's, what's the minimum training we're prepared to put alongside the app to make sure it works? So, and then how do we reuse that, that documentation as much as possible? Mm-hmm. Let's not – everyone goes, oh, well, I can't afford any tools, so we're going to do everything in Excel. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you, you add up the true cost of managing everything in Excel, then you may find it's better to buy a tool. You may not, but I wrote an article called is Not Free. What's the mm-hmm. true cost of ownership of hacking everything together in a spreadsheet that nobody agrees with, and then you take out the spreadsheet, you put it somewhere else and take it out and put it somewhere else and take it somewhere. So depending on the size of the organization, you need a bit more rigor. But everybody needs an understood development process, no matter how big or small you are. And everybody needs some standards around documentation as you go around that loop. And the bigger the company, the more you're relying on consultants, the more important that is.
0: The last thing I was going to ask, based on your experience, you may have a more you know, higher inclination when it comes to services and consulting and processes. What would be your recommendation for anyone that is starting or planning to get into consulting, specifically uh, Salesforce consulting, that they should, they should look for in terms of developing either subsets of their soft skills or, like you said, business process mapping? What would be the types of things that you would say a very good consultant should have a grasp of these, these areas?
1: If you're going to be in the Salesforce world, clearly someone in the team needs to understand how to configure salesforce but that's a huge ask. I mean salesforce now is so complicated. So I think if I was starting out as a consulting firm, the first thing is focus. Pick an area that you want to get good at. You can't be good at sales cloud and service cloud and cpq and einstein. So you going to need to try and pick an area. And obviously things like field service lightning is a growing area. CPQ is a it's a complicated product to implement, but again, the more complex, then obviously the, the more opportunity there is. So the first one is focus. So th- pick an area where you have either you can create some expertise or you have already got some experience from the business perspective. And it may then be another focus, which is what industries are you going after. So you're focused on a retail and CPQ or high-tech industry and CPQ. So try and pick that focus. So that's that's a sort of a high-level view of that, where to start to position the consulting business. The second thing is, you, obviously, you need those Salesforce con, um, configuration skills, but you need to make sure you've got the business, the business consulting skills sort of the management consulting skills. Otherwise, it's a race to the bottom in terms of day rate. If you're just a, dev- a configurer, then you're up against people in the Eastern Bloc, people in India, people in Asia with a far lower day rate than maybe if you're based in the US, you're based in Europe. So you you need to work your way up the food chain and become more around and be able to help them drive their business transformation, which means having those soft skills, which is the ability to facilitate workshops, the ability to do business analysis, the questioning, but then also be able to write really good user stories so you're genuinely understanding what the customer wants. And then once you're delivered, you need to go back and go, okay, this is what the requirements were. These are the business changes. Let's understand the business value we created for you. So you get around that cycle again. So at the moment, companies are driving their business transformation, their digital transformation activities. What was what they expected to take five years is taking five months or five weeks. That requires consulting help that help them envision what that digital, digital transformation looks like. It's not digital translation which says... You were awful today, let's put you online. You could you could be awful online. <laughs> this is a chance of transforming, okay, based on the new digital world. What does that now look like? Okay. So there's a there's a management consultancy, business consultancy opportunity there to help companies understand what it now what the new world looks like, and then how Salesforce supports it. And if I were positioning a consultancy, it would be there rather than saying. Okay. How many certificates can I get? How many certs can I get? Yeah, you need those somewhere in the team, but you also need some of those front-end consultants, and as you said, some of those soft skills. again, there's, there's some. Uh, I'm sure we can put some links at the end. But if you go to, I created some Trailhead Live uh, videos about some of those soft skills. So if you go to train.elements.cloud/live, there are a set of videos I did for Trailhead around the uh, business analysis skills, those soft skills.
0: Well, Ian, what I was going to say is thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing what you guys have done with Element and also the advice that you recommended. In case people want to keep up and also look at some of the other things that you guys are building. I know we talked about the word confessions and you've also mentioned the videos for Trailhead Live. What would be the areas that you want to Push people towards because I i bet you have a few things up your sleeve in terms of what you're pushing out there. So,
1: I mean, I'm passionate about helping companies improve the way they operate. If customers are successful and consultants are successful, then elements will be as the tooling. So, we're putting out quite a lot of material, which is sort of thought leadership or training. So, obviously, I talked about Trailhead Live. The other thing we just launched is something we called an org assessment. So, it's 64 questions thinking about the maturity of your implementation. So 64 questions are out across 18 areas, and it will come out with a spider diagram that says, how how good or bad are you? Obviously, an admin can do that. But again, as a tool for a consultant, there's no cost to use it. But there's, as a consultant, you could sit down with your client and just go through it, and you can start to understand where they need help. So it's not around functionality, but talking about, okay, how well do you manage the org? How about risk, about speed of, of um, implementation. So it's almost the corollary, the opposite to all confessions. All confessions is how bad could it get? Org assessment, orgassessment.com, that's all about doing a sense check, very quickly getting a sense of, okay, how well do we do this? What are the gaps? Where do we need to invest? But where are we doing really well? And we need a pat on the back. So it's, we're trying to make sure that we're, supporting the community so that they have the skills to get better
0: thank you for listening to the sfdc consultant podcast be sure to visit sfdcconsultant.com to access the show notes and discover additional content if you enjoyed the podcast it would be amazing if you could subscribe give us a review and share it with your peers until next time take care